We're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're continuing, <clears throat> continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew. Of course, we're looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, and we're seeing it through the eyes of Matthew. <clears throat> and Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We've been seeing that. We're in Matthew 27. We're in the last events, really, the, the event of the cross. He has died on the cross. He has paid for the sins of mankind. Last time we saw the burial. Now, what we're going to do this morning as we look through this, we're going to see the burial and the events following Christ. Burial. Now, the religious leaders have a problem. Even though Jesus is dead, they thought, okay, we got rid of him. They cru crucified him, but they got a problem because they remember that Jesus said that after three days, three days and three nights, basically, he would rise again. So how are they going to deal with this? Well, what they're going to do is the religious leaders are going to come and they're going to ask Pilate to guard the tomb to keep someone from stealing the body of Christ. I want you to realize that nothing can stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing, it doesn't matter who it is. We know that he is the living Savior. He's declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see some great things, basically dealing with those who buried him and then what happened right after he was buried. We'll see some great things. Sometimes things don't turn out like we think that they would. I mean, think about this. So Jesus with the men, the 12 men, literally a lot more than that, but the 12 men, especially for about three, three and a half years, so you'd think that when Jesus died on the cross, who would bury him? You would think, well, the disciples would come and take the body, but the disciples aren't there. In fact, they've all run off. And the only one that was there was John, and, and Jesus told John to take his mother and take her with him. And so <clears throat> none of them are there. And what you know would have happened normally that if nobody was claiming the body, they would have taken the Roman soldiers would have taken the bodies off and thrown them probably in, down in the Kidron Valley and, and just had them in a mass grave and either burned them up or whatever. But we're going to find that somebody who we would least expect comes and takes the body of Jesus. There are two people. One is named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the other is a guy by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. And so we're going to see these two guys that, uh, who was at the burial. We're going to see Joseph and Nicodemus. And who are these people? And what, what information can we see as we look at their lives? So it's some amazing things. Let me give you the outline of what we're going to do. We're going to look at the burial, the two men who come, and then we're going to see the women there. And then we're going to see the tomb and the request. What do they request? And what about the guards and all those kind of things? Let me give you a brief review. Remember, Jesus has been on the cross. They put him on the cross at, at about nine in the morning. About 12 to three, it turned dark. From three to about six. At three, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when he was separated from the Father. That's when he paid for our sins. And then right toward the end, he said, it is finished. It is done. And then he gave up his life. He died. And then it's now almost six o'clock, basically, in the evening. And when that happens, it's the next day. The evening comes first. That's the way God says, evening and the morning, we're day. And so it's about to get time for the next day. And then the next day happens to be a Sabbath day. The 14th day of the first month is Passover. Jesus died on Passover. The 15th day of the month is the first day of unleavened bread. It doesn't matter what day of the week it falls on. It is always a Sabbath day, which means rest day. So the Jewish people said, we've got to get those people off the cross before 6 o'clock. Some of them are still alive, so they get word to the soldiers, and the soldiers decide to break the legs, and they break the legs of the two, basically the two thieves on the cross, and since you can't use your legs to push up, they die quickly. And then they came to Jesus, of course, his legs, uh, he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs, but one soldier took a spear and stabbed him. And when we think about that, we say, well, you know, so what? 
Well, the bottom line was that fulfilled, by the way, that fulfilled prophecy because it fulfilled scripture because it said they will look on the one whom they pierced, that was with the sword, and then it says not a, not a bone of his will be broken, and they're not. And so even after Jesus dies, he still fulfills the scripture. Well, it's the end of the day, and a man by the name of Joseph comes and ask for the body of Jesus. So let's look at it. Matthew 28, look at verse 58. Uh, he's mentioned already, his name's Joseph. It says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Now, he was a wealthy Jewish man, and so he did not probably have any problem getting to see Pilate. He asked for the body. Luke says he gathered up his courage now, one of the things that's amazing, we're going to see it a little bit later, is that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. He didn't let people know that he had believed in Jesus. He was a member of the ruling body. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the 70 most important men in Israel, the religious leaders. And he was a believer, but he didn't tell anybody. And so at the end, he gathers up his courage, and he comes, and he's taking a big risk because when he comes and gets the body of Jesus, everybody will know that he cares that he's connected with Jesus. So Pilate, uh, Joseph comes, goes to Pilate, asks for the body. It goes on and says, and, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And we're going to see more. But there's more there. There's somebody else there. There's a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Matthew doesn't mention it. So hold your place in Matthew and turn over to John 19. So just flip over there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to John chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse 38. We'll get a little review there as he gives us some things. But we're going to meet this man named Nicodemus, if, we don't, if you don't remember him. He's been earlier in the Gospel of John. But let's talk about it. So here is John 19, verse 38. It says, after these things, that's after they broke, they were going to break the bones, so they didn't break Jesus' bone. After they, they uh, pierced him side, it says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but notice, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away the body. Now, there's a lot of information in that one little verse, but what we find is there's Joseph of Arimathea. He was a disciple of Jesus, a secret one. Why? Because he's afraid of the Jews. It doesn't mean afraid of just Jewish people. He's afraid of the Jewish leaders. He was one of the Jewish leaders. He was afraid to stand up publicly in the, in the Sanhedrin and say, I have believed that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Savior. He just didn't do that. So he was a disciple, but a secret one. But now he's come public. He's come out, and he went to Pilate. He said, I'd like the body. If you remember from one of the other Gospels, he came to Pilate and said, I want the body. And Pilate said, he's already dead. He can't be dead. So he called one of the soldiers in and said, is that Jesus dead? And the soldier said, he's dead. He said, okay, you can have the, you can have the body. So, Pilate, so uh, Joseph is going to get the body. And so he is, as we say, he was a secret disciple. But there's somebody else there. Look the next verse. Nicodemus, who had first come to, to him by night, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. 
Now, here's this other guy. His name is Nicodemus. And he's coming, and he brought 100 pounds of myrrh, and it's very, very, very expensive. Do you remember, we talked about it last week, that when Mary poured out, she had a little jar, and she poured out the myrrh on Jesus' feet and on his head. She anointed his body for burial. And some of them said, what are you we're wasting all that. It could be it. And what they implied was it was about that little jar might be about a year's worth salary. It was very expensive. Well, if this was something that weighed, let's just say a pound, how much do you think it cost that hundred pound weight that Nicodemus brought? That was hugely expensive. There's, uh, we, we looked and thought there's some traditions that say that when they buried kings, they used a hundred pounds of myrrh. And so Nicodemus is coming, bringing that, saying Jesus is the king of the Jews. And so Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, uh, come to him by night, also came bringing this mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And that's what it says. It's huge. And it goes on to say, and they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as in the burial custom of the Jews. So they've taken the body and they're, they're going to put it really in the tomb. It goes on to say they placed it in the tomb in the garden. Now, let's stop for a minute. Let's talk about who this Nicodemus guy is. See, see we don't know hardly anything about Joseph of Arimathea. All we know, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. And we know that he was rich and we know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin and all that. But Nicodemus... We know a lot more about him. And you might say, how do we know? Well, it's back in John chapter 3. So I want you to turn in your Bibles back to John chapter 3. You're in the book of John. Turn back toward the front to John chapter 3. And we're going to see this man named Nicodemus. And uh, it's, it's fairly impressive on what we see just in this one little passage. So I hope you're all there. John chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, now we'll stop there. I want you to understand there's a lot of information there. First of all, it says there was a man, uh, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now I want you to remember the Pharisees were very legalistic. The Pharisees said they believed the Bible. They said what we're going to do is take the Bible and live by the Bible. That sounds really good except they then took and made all kind of rules to go with the Bible, and they made their rules equal with the Bible. And so if you ask a Pharisee, how do you get to God? They would say, you've got to obey the rules. You've got to keep all the rules. So they missed the truth that salvation was a gift by faith, and they had all these rules. So the Pharisees were really, we'd say that they believed the Bible, but they were really, really legalistic. He went on to say there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That meant he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Remember I said a while ago that there were 70 men who made up the Sanhedrin who were very important. One of them was Joseph of Arimathea. Another is this man named Nicodemus. Now, we're going to find out that Nicodemus is wealthy. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He is a Pharisee. And we're going to find uh, uh, several other aspects about his life. And, and so look, look what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Very powerful man. And uh, he's also, we're going to see it in a minute, he's called the teacher in Israel. Not a teacher, but the teacher. So let's look what happens. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he came to Jesus by night. Why would he come to Jesus by night? Why didn't he just go into the temple area when Jesus would be teaching? Or why didn't he go out by where one of the places that Jesus was teaching? Well, because he didn't want to. He didn't want people to know that he wants to talk to Jesus. He is 
a secret disciple as well. He wants to find out. At this point, we don't know if he believes anything or not. All we know is he wants to talk to Jesus because he is seeing what Jesus is doing, and he's saying something is unique here. Now look what it says. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, and he calls Jesus rabbi, which meant my master, which was the word for my teacher. He's calling, he's giving Jesus respect because he's saying something really good. And then he goes on to say, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. Notice he didn't say you've come from God as the Messiah. He said, you've come from God as a teacher. Why? For nobody can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. He says, you must be from God. Now, he doesn't say he's believing in him as, as Messiah and Savior. He just says, it looks like you're from God because you do miracles and they, and they work. And, and that's, Jesus had already done things. He had, had, had you know, healed people and done different things. And, and so Nicodemus knows about it. So he said, you must be from God for nobody can keep doing the signs you're doing. Now, you'd think that Jesus might go, well, thank you very much. I mean, I've been wondering when some of you religious leaders would, would you know, think I'm doing okay. But Jesus doesn't say that at all. In fact, Jesus doesn't say thank you. Jesus does the following. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says you have to be born again to see the kingdom, to be in the kingdom. And he says, truly, truly, which is amen, amen, is something. When you say truly, truly twice, it means listen carefully. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he says, you must be born again. It means to be born from above. The word again is ana in Greek, and it can mean again or it can mean above. So Jesus could actually have said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God, or unless one is born again. Now, Jesus is talking about regeneration. We come into the world dead in trespasses and sin, and we're spiritually dead. The moment we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we are regenerated. We become spiritually alive. A lot of people think regeneration as New Testament is all throughout the whole Bible. Whenever anyone in the Bible believed in the coming Messiah, Old Testament, they were born again. They were made new creatures. Now, Nicodemus should have known this. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You, we would say it this way. Unless you're born again, unless you're regenerated, you can't go to heaven. Now, they don't think of heaven like that because they think of the kingdom. And we should be thinking of kingdom because we're going to spend a very small time in the heavenly places. And we're going to spend a thousand years on this earth in an earthly kingdom. And then eternity on a new heaven and a new earth. So all that's going to fit together. So here's we see it. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus doesn't grasp it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't understand uh, the new birth. And listen, all of us in this room, when you put your faith in Jesus, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. And you can see and you can be in the kingdom. But those who, who do not believe. And so he says to him, truly, truly, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you're regenerated, unless you're born from above, you're not going to go into the kingdom. You're not going to see the kingdom. Nicodemus didn't grasp it. And so I put these verses up here. Look what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? 
You can't enter a second time in your mother's womb and be born, can he? He doesn't understand. He's thinking physical birth. He said, you can't go back up in your mother and come back out again. That's, that's not going to work. Well, uh, he just doesn't grasp it. And so Jesus says, true, and, and notice what Jesus again says, truly, truly, listen carefully. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you're born of water, that's a physical birth. If you're born of spirit, that's a spiritual birth. Notice the next verse. That which is born of flesh is flesh, physical birth, and that which is born of spirit is spirit, spiritual birth. Do not be amazed. I say to you, you must be born again. Three different times, he says you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus doesn't grasp it. Look down at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He still doesn't get it. And notice what Jesus says to him. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said, you are the teacher, not a teacher in Israel. You are the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things. He said, Nicodemus, you should have understood this. You're the teacher in Israel. You, under, you should have understood about regeneration. You should understand about how to have eternal life, how to be in the kingdom. It always is by faith. Now, so you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to teach him. He's going to go to a passage. Listen, remember, there's, they only have the Old Testament. There's no New Testament. And so he, Jesus is going to go back to the Bible. Now, let me tell you something. The, the Pharisees they knew the scripture. The first five books are called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Many Pharisees had memorized all five books. I mean, I have trouble memorizing five verses. They memorized five books. So Jesus is going to go back to a place in the Bible and teach Nicodemus about salvation. Now, where would we go? If it was me, I'd say, oh, it's me. Okay, here's where I go. I'd just say, Jesus, here, I'll handle this. And, and I would say, let's go back to Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But Jesus didn't go there. He goes to Numbers 21. And when was the last time you read the book of Numbers? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Most of the time after Exodus, we kind of skip on and get on over here. First and second, you know, Samuel and all that stuff. So we skip that. The book of Numbers and Numbers 21. So what's he talking about? Well, let me tell you the story. In Numbers, if you, Numbers 21, the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They went to, the, to Mount Sinai and got the Mosaic Law. They were supposed to go into the land, but they didn't go into the land. And so God said, you're going to wander around for 38 and a half years. Total, it'll be 40 years until this whole generation dies off. So numbers is they're wandering around. Big circles. They're following the cloud. And they're just following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And they're at a place and they begin to gripe. And they don't like the food. They don't like the manna. They don't like the birds. They don't like the water. They don't like how the water... They're griping and griping and griping. And so God allows snakes to come bite them. And they're getting bit by snakes and they're dying. And so they come to Moses and they say, Moses, talk to God. We're getting bit by these snakes and we're dying. And so God appears to Moses and Moses said, what are we supposed to do? And God said this, here's what I want you to do. Take a piece of bronze and make it look like a snake take a big old tall pole, put the snake on top of the pole, and then put the pole up in the camp so you can look up there and see the snake. Anytime somebody gets bit by a snake, all they have to do is look right there, and they won't die. It's a picture of what? Faith. All you have to do is look. And so 
What does Jesus tell Nicodemus in verse 14? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the same way, they put that snake on top of the pole, and all they had to do was look up there, and they'd be saved from the snake bite. He says the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be lifted up, and whoever looks to him will have eternal life. If you notice, verse 14 says, as Moses lit up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So verse 15, so that whoever believes in him will have what? Eternal life. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. By faith, they looked to the snake on a pole, and they were saved from the snake bite. By faith in Jesus on the cross, we are saved from the penalty of sin. He said, Nicodemus, you know the story about the pole. Nicodemus, oh, I know that story. I got to be lifted up just like that. Whoever looks to me has eternal life. And then he gives the great verse, verse 16, for God so loved the world. That's us that he gave his son Jesus to die and rise again, to be lifted up on the pole, that whosoever anyone would believe in him, not works but faith, would never perish but have what? Everlasting life. Jesus gave Nicodemus the gospel message from Numbers 21. And Nicodemus leaves. Jesus goes on to say, he goes on to say, but God didn't send the Son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believes is not condemned. He believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then he talked about light and darkness, and men love darkness rather than light. And he goes through all this, and Nicodemus leaves. We do not know at this point, did Nicodemus believe in Jesus right then? I, I think he did, personally. Or maybe he left and he went, you know what that guy's saying? He's saying he's the Messiah. He's saying he's going to be lifted up. He's saying whoever believes in him has eternal life. And I think Nicodemus, I hope, believed in Jesus because when we see Jesus being buried, is Joseph of Arimathea a secret disciple and Nicodemus the man who came to Jesus by night? And so when we look at this, we'll go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we see Jesus teaching Nicodemus uh, back in John 3 uh, about how to have eternal life. And now, Jesus is about to be buried, and it's going to be Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Go back to Matthew, but we don't have, we don't see Nicodemus in Matthew, but here's what we find. Go back again to verse 59. And so Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd hewn out of the rock, and rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Now there's a lot even in this, and I want to raise a couple of questions. First of all, it's a new tomb, which means nobody's ever been in that tomb, which means maybe it's it's fairly new being built, but we're going to show some pictures next week about what these tombs look like, and it's most likely in the side of a cave, and, and so this is new. And, and notice how it says it. It says that he, it was his, his own new tomb, which they you know, you know, got out of the rock. Now, here's my question. If, if Joseph of Arimathea lives in Arimathea, which is about 25 miles away, why in the world would he have a tomb in Jerusalem? Because this, it says that they put him in a tomb that had never been used before. So why? Well, because this tomb was prepared for Jesus. You know what I think? This is, this is just speculation because the Bible doesn't tell us. I bet you Jesus talked to Nicodemus, to uh, Joseph of Arimathea and said, when I die, I have a tomb for me to put the body in. 
Who knows? But even if that's not true, even if uh, Joseph Arimathea got the body and he said, I have a tomb here that I've prepared. I didn't even know why I was preparing it, but now I know. And he put the body in the tomb. Watch verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. They're there watching. You know why? Because they know that the body that Jesus has put in there, they know the next day, this day is like a Sabbath, and then they're going to wait a couple of days because Jesus had said three days and three nights, and they're going to wait till the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and they're going to go out there to anoint the body. Now, what happens the next day? And we'll go fairly quickly through this. Notice, on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. Now, it says the next day. This is the day after Passover. And so on the next day, day after Passover, it says this, uh, the, the day after the preparation, this is a Sabbath day. It says the chief priest and Pharisees gathered together. Now, let me tell you something. A Jewish person under the Mosaic law on a Sabbath day could only, only travel about three-fourths of a mile. That's all you could go. So apparently these, these, these chief priests and the Pharisees got together and went to see Pilate, and they had it figured out where they wouldn't go more than three-quarters of a mile, and they went to Pilate. Now, let me remind you of something. The chief priests were all, almost all of them were Sadducees. That's a whole different group. Pharisees and Sadducees hated each other. And yet, they're getting together. You know why? Because the truth is this, the religious leaders hated each other, but they were united to get Jesus. Now watch what's going to happen. They come to Pilate and said, Sir, verse 63, we remember that when he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Now, they come and they remember what Jesus said. Notice they call him deceiver. They won't even use his name. The religious leaders will not even use Jesus' name. Let me tell you, I have a friend that is in Israel, and he, he talks to people about Jesus. And when they find out that, he believe, that he's a Christian, he believes in Jesus, they say, oh, you believe in that man. They won't use Jesus' name. Notice the religious leaders here, they won't use Jesus' name. They call him a deceiver. They call him a deceiver. Now, they, they remember something. It says, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise Again, where would they get that? They remembered that? Well, Jesus told them. In Matthew 12, 38 through 40, they came to Jesus and said, we want to see a sign. And he said, there won't be any sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. They knew that. They remembered that Jesus said, I will rise again after three days. Now, the, the disciples didn't grasp it. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew tells them five times he's going to die and rise again. And they don't get it. But the religious leaders, they knew Jesus said he would rise again. So notice it's again, again it says, the deceiver said. They call Jesus a deceiver. They call Jesus a liar. I want to show you something. There is a deceiver. There is a deceiver. It's not Jesus. There's the father lies. The deceiver's the devil. In John 8, 44, he's a liar from the beginning. That's who he is. Let me give you some of his lies, okay? I'm going to give you some of his lies for all of us that he that he throws at us, and sometimes we believe them. You know what they are? First one is, you can be good to get to heaven. I used to think that. I grew up thinking if you did more good than bad, you're okay. If you could do enough good, you could get to heaven. And there are a lot of people that we talk to, and you say, what do you think a person has to do to go to heaven? They say, try to live a good life. That's a lie of the devil. But you can earn your way to God. You can't earn your way to God. You can lose our salvation. He tells you you can lose your salvation. When you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? 
eternal life. How long does eternal life last? Forever. You cannot lose it. But the devil says you can believe and then you can do badly. You can sin, you can do, and you lose it. When I was coaching the Mississippi State, I had a friend that he actually said to me, he said, I've, I've been saved three times. I went, what? Because he, he went to an organization, a group that believed you, you had to believe and be baptized, but then if you did sin, you lost it and you had to go through it again. He'd gone through it three different times. And so the lie of the devil is you can lose salvation. You, you can believe in Jesus and he gives you eternal life, but it's not really eternal life. Uh, the devil says you can't be used by God because you're too bad. I mean, look at your thoughts. Look at your actions. You're too bad to be used by God. That's what the devil says. He said, he can't use you. You're wicked. He can't use you. That's a lie. He can take any of us, any place, anytime, anywhere, and use us for his glory. They, they say that, devil says that the Bible is too hard to understand. You can't, it's like it's got a lot of these and thous and stuff, and you can't grasp it, and it's like 66 books, and there's an old part and a new part, and nobody can put it together, and it's got all kind of things. Nobody can know the Bible. That's what he says. You can know it. Uh, you don't need to come to church. You don't, you don't need to come to church because you, you, you can just be by yourself. You don't need other Christians. I mean, I've had people say to me, you know, we don't have to go to church. I said, no, you don't have to go to church, but you're missing out on the fellowship and the worship. And Satan says, that's not important. It's vital to your Christian growth. And then the devil says, prayer takes too much time. You don't have time to, listen, you got a busy day, you got to go to work, you got to do this, you got to go to school, you got a paper to write, you got all kinds, you ain't got time to pray because, I mean, it just takes too much time to pray. You can pray anytime, anyplace, anywhere, you can pray while you're driving, just make sure your eyes are open, you can do it, right? So he's going to lie to you, and you got to realize that he's the deceiver. Jesus is not the deceiver. He is. Look what happened. So therefore, they said, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. The last deception is that he rose from the grave. The first, de the first uh, deception is that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah, that he's the king. And so they said, we, we got to do something or else they're going to come do something and take the body away and then we're going to be in trouble. By the way, what if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave? We've got, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul deals with six things if Jesus was, didn't raise from the grave. I want to give you two things. If there was no resurrection, there's no payment for sin. Jesus', Jesus death on the cross doesn't count if he doesn't rise from the grave. So there is no payment for sin, so nobody goes to heaven. Second is, there's no victory over death. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then nobody rises from the grave. That's why it's so important Jesus died and rose again. So look what happens. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go make it as sure as you know how. You have a guard, and Pilate said, by the way, you know what the, the Greek word for guard is? Custodian. That's the Greek word. And that's why some people say they're the custodian, which means they take care of something. They, they watch over it. They guard it. And so they sent the guards. He said, you have a guard. I'll give you the guards and make it as secure as you can. Now, most likely, these guards are Roman soldiers. Now, you know, Roman soldiers were pretty famous for being tough. And so they've sent some Roman soldiers out there to guard the tomb. And look what he goes on to say. And they went and made the grave secure along with the guard. They had a seal on the stone. They did two things. They had the guards, and they sealed the tomb. And, let me, and what they would do is they have a, a, stone, a, a thing that they roll in front, and then most likely they would take a rope 
and put it around the sides and they would put wax and melt it so that the rope is up there. And that way, if anybody tried to roll the stone, it would break the wax part and they could tell that somebody tried to get in there. So they've got it sealed and they're ready to go. Now, <laughs> what they don't realize is that's fantastic because by guarding the tomb and sealing it, it makes more sure that Jesus rose from the grave. J.C. Ryle wrote this. He said, God ordered the events not only of the death, but the resurrection of Christ were placed beyond doubt. Stan Toussaint, my, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, said, nobody could steal the body. There was no way to get to it. The only possible way for Jesus Christ to leave the tomb was by means of resurrection. Nothing could keep Jesus in the grave. You know why? Because he's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the first one to come back from the dead. He is God. So just remember, now next week, we're going to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. So let me give you some applications. Let's first realize the victory that we have in Christ's resurrection. Think about that. Nothing can stop God's plan. Jesus died and rose again. He died to, to pay for the sins of the world, and he rose to give us victory over the grave. So we, we need to have that eternal perspective and realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, and by faith in him we have eternal life. And listen, the grave is conquered. Every human being is going to be raised from the grave because Jesus Christ conquered death. Some will be raised from the grave to spend eternity separated from God, called the second death. It's because they didn't believe in Jesus. There'll be some raised from the grave to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It's called eternal life, and it's because they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior to have eternal life. The second thing is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, the Bible's not too hard. Salvation is simply by faith. You can know the Scripture. God will use you no matter what. Church is important. You need to get with other believers. Don't be deceived. And you do have time to pray. Don't let Satan's lies stop you from growing. Last but not least, let's, don't, let, let's make known our relationship with Jesus. These two guys... Until, it's not till the end, till after Jesus is dead, that people know that they believe in Jesus. Let's don't wait. Let's let people know right now that we stand for Jesus Christ, that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We must do that.